0: You're listening to the Scotts Hill Podcast, which features our Sunday sermons. If you would like to learn more about what God is doing in the life of Scotts Hill Baptist Church, visit our website at scottshill.org. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to Scotts Hill Baptist Church on this Mother's Day. If you're a first-time guest, we're glad to have you this morning. If you're watching us online, thank you for inviting us into your home. And before we get started, I've had a lot of men say to me, your wife must have picked that shirt out for you today. And she did. She picked that shirt out for me. And um, she's not even in town. She's out of town. She's visiting our kids and our grandkids for Mother's Day in Atlanta. And so I'm wearing what she has already laid out. And I don't know how to take that. When they say your wife must have picked that out for you, it must mean like if you're a real man, you would never wear that. (laughs) So... It is what it is. And I'm glad to say happy Mother's Day. Yes, that's right. I did not say happy birthing person's day. It's happy Mother's Day. Now, here's the thing. I do not have a degree in biology, but I have a master's degree in theology. And my theology informs all the other ologies of the world. And according to theology, we understand that God created women by his divine choice of making them female, fully capable of conceiving and having children in a way that a man cannot. So regardless of what Apple does with its emojis, it does not demonstrate reality. Amen? So we are here today and we're celebrating moms And you know, on Mother's Day, there are more phone calls made than any other day of the year. On Mother's Day, restaurants tend to be busier than any other day with the exception of Valentine's Day. That more cards are purchased and gifts are given for moms than any other day of the year. And they are certainly worth it. And the question is, how worthy are moms? Well, salary.com did a survey not long ago. And they said if you take all of the jobs that moms do in a week and you put them together, they are very, very, they're worth a lot. In other words, they're in charge of administration. They're the baristas. They are the counselors and child care givers. They are the dental hygienists. And, and they're the ones who take care of the finances, they're the carpoolers, they're the educators, they're the nurses, they're the ones who are the event planners. And we go through all the things that they can possibly do. And according to salary.com, which was a couple of years ago they came out with this, stay-at-home moms are worth $125,000 a year. Yeah, I told my wife, yeah. Some men have just gone bankrupt today. When I told my wife that, I said, you got to get a job. I can't afford you to stay home. (laughs) But but moms are worth so much. And today we're going to celebrate moms today. Some of you are, are, are here today and your moms, like my mom, has passed away. And it's a fond memory, and you thank God for all the ways that she's impacted your life. I was sitting there praying this morning, and I was thinking, Lord, thank you for my mom, but she's no longer my mom. She's my sister in Christ. And one day, we're going to be brother and sister for all of eternity. But I, I thank God for her. Some of you are with your moms today, and you're going to celebrate. Some of you can't be with your moms. Some of you can't be moms. And that's a difficult thing for you. Some of you may be estranged from your moms. Some of you are biological moms. Some of you are moms who have adopted others and brought them into your family. Regardless of what this day holds, for some it's pleasure, for others it's pain. But in the midst of it, we celebrate together and we give God glory because of his great grace in our life. And so we want to celebrate and honor moms this morning. Here's what we're going to do. If you are a mom, we're going to ask you to remain seated this morning. And would you join me to stand in honor of the moms in this room? Would you do that? Amen. Yes. Amen. You can be seated. What man would not stand? And you know one thing I love about Mother's Day. I tell, and, and this happened this morning. I'll go up to a lady. I'll say Happy Mother's Day, and she says, "You too." <laughs> I'm not sure what yours <laughs> is, but anyway, we're here. We're listen. We're in this series that we started last week that we called Staycation. And we're calling it staycation because we're in a time that we're getting ready to go to vacations and staycations. 58% of the people are going to go on a vacation. 42% are staying home. But we're here all through the summer. So we're looking at the things that people look forward to when they go on vacations or staycations. And what we want to do is focus on some of those things, but not just look at them for the summer, but to use this as a springboard to move us Forward beyond the summer months and establish patterns in our families and in our lives that will be beneficial long term. And last week, we looked at one of the first things that people look to when they go on a vacation, and that is a time to reclaim rest. And we talked about four hard disciplines in our lives. We talked about reclaiming a time of silence and solitude, just power down and just listen. Turn off the external noise and listen to the internal chatter and let the Spirit of God begin to clarify and to cleanse your heart during these times. And I ask you to take two weeks just to develop a pattern of silence and solitude. And then we talked about a Sabbath, choosing a day where you can just rest as a family And we want you to look at a time where you can do that as a family and say, you know what, this is going to be our special day. This is where we enjoy rest together. And then simplicity, just simplifying your life. So last week we talked about this whole issue of rest. But since it's Mother's Day, today we're going to look at the second thing, and it's a time to reconnect with family. It's a time to reconnect with family. People love vacations, because vacation is a great time for us to reconnect with family. Think about it. The good thing about a vacation or staycation is you spend a concentrated amount of time together, don't you? In the car, driving to your destination. In, in, you know, Maybe you're on, a, on an airplane. Maybe you're in a motor home. Maybe you're camping, whatever it is some of the great things about vacation is concentrated time together. Some of the bad things about vacation is concentrated time together. (laughs) And so how do we reconnect? And if there's ever a time in the lives of families to reconnect, it is now. So this morning, what I want to do is talk to you about how can we reconnect as families. Now, I want to make this very clear. This message today is specifically for Christian families. I'm speaking to Christian moms and dads, Christian grandparents, Christian college students. I'm speaking to Christian high school students and children. This is specifically a message for believers and families to reclaim this connection together. And I'm not just talking about parenting issues. I'm talking about grandparents. How do you reconnect with one another? Spouses, how do you reconnect with one another? How do we reconnect as a a family unit? And how do we let God bring our families to a place where he desires them to be? So this morning, we're going to look at some key points of reconnecting. And one of the greatest passages that we can look at is from the Old Testament, and it's Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your devices, if you have your phones, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, and we'll go to verse 9. Now let me set the stage, the history, and the context for you for Deuteronomy chapter 6. In chapter 5, Moses is writing his farewell address to the people of Israel. You remember that this is 40 years after they've left Egypt. So the first generation has died off because they rebelled against God and would not enter the promised land when God told them to. So God says, your generation is going to die off. Your children are going to take the promised land. And so all of these that are standing at the edge of the promised land is that next generation. And what Moses is doing in chapter 5 is reminding them of the Ten Commandments. He goes right through every one of them. He instructs them in the Ten Commandments because they are about to enter a world that they have never seen before. And as they are about to enter, he gives them these principles And he reminds them of the great word of God. And here's what he says. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that Your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates." What Moses is doing is reminding the people of Israel of some very important steps to keep them connected as a godly family. They're about to enter a land that they have never experienced before. They're about to enter a place that is going to pull them and test them and challenge them and tempt them. And before they do, Moses gives them three specific steps. This is what I want to give you today. As we as Christian families are living in a world that is constantly pulling us, constantly trying to distract us with the social media that's out there, with everything that's happening in our climate and in our world and in our culture, I believe God is speaking to our families today. And he wants to challenge us and call us back these things. What are the three things? Number one, remember our foundation. He's calling them to remember the foundation on which that nation and the families were formed. He makes it clear in verses four through six. He says, oh, hear, oh, Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Listen what he's saying to them. Here's what he's saying. They're about to enter a world that they've never experienced before. They're about to enter a world that is filled with some of the most pagan gods that history has ever known. They're about to enter a world that these pagan gods require the firstborn son of every family to be sacrificed in the fires. They're about to enter a world that's culture is completely different than theirs. The teachings are different than theirs. They're about to enter a world that has no moral compass They're about to enter a world that is filled with corruption from its leaders. They're about to enter a world that is filled with violence in the streets. Does that sound anything familiar today? Things have not changed. And the reason God reminds us to remember our foundation is because what the psalmist writes. He says if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, what can God's people do? Now I'm talking about the foundation of your home. And that's what he is instructing here today. And if we are going to reconnect as a family, we need to go back to the foundation of what we are to be built on as Christian families. There are three aspects of the foundation that Moses points out. First, he says, There's one Lord. There's one Lord. He reminds them, you're about to go in a world that's filled with a multiplicity of gods. And the problem with the gods of the world is this. They cannot satisfy you. The gods of the world cannot sanctify you or make you better. The gods of the world cannot save you. Don't run after the gods of the world. Remember that there is one Lord. There is one God He is unique among all other things that people worship because he alone is the only true God. And he's reminding us that if we're going to have a strong foundation in our home, the centerpiece of our lives needs to be Jesus Christ. And everything needs to be built upon him. Because listen, there are a multiplicity of gods out there. And listen, these gods are not just pulling after our kids. They're not just pulling after our teenagers. They're pulling at every one of us. So here's what I'm saying. Don't be caught up into the gods of the world. I've seen plenty of grandparents who have left the church because they pursued other gods. I've seen plenty of empty nesters who have never come back to church because they've run after other gods. I've seen young parents. I've seen college students. I've seen all of these things. And he's reminding us there's one God that we're to serve and we're to follow and we're to pursue with all of our hearts. He says there's one Lord. His name is Jesus. And let me tell you this, we need to go back to the foundation that Jesus is the centerpiece of our, our lives and our homes. One Lord. But then he says this, there's one love Not only is there one Lord, but there's to be one love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Think about that. That means love him with all of your being. There are going to be the enticements of the world that's going to want you to have your affection drawn away from the Lord Jesus into other things. And what we must do as a family is to guard carefully that love for the Lord Jesus. That means this. Grandparents, I'm talking to you now. Older ones, my age and above. Never thought I'd say that. You are to love Jesus more than your wife. Some of you are saying, I've been married long enough to know that I've got that one down. Spouses, you're to love Jesus more than your spouse. Here's a hard one. Parents, you're to love Jesus more than your children. You're to teach your children to love Jesus more than you. And they are to love Jesus more than sports, more than goals, more than ambitions. It doesn't mean that you don't enjoy other things. It says that in the midst of every one of those things, the Lord Jesus is glorified and exalted in the midst of all of it. We remember that there's one Lord, there's one love, and there's one law. What is the law? The word of God. The word of God, he says, that these shall be on your heart. What? The commandments, the statutes, the principles, all the things of the word of God should be centerpiece in how you live your life. The word of God is absolute truth. The word of God is true in every culture, in every time, with every people, in all circumstances. The word of God never changes. It is not subject to the whims of culture. It is always the same. And so the word of God is to be the filter of my life. It filters my emotions. It filters my thoughts. It filters my actions. That's the word of God. And so the word of God needs to be held true because it is the compass for our life. Married couples, the word of God is what gives us the instruction on how we're to live, how we're to parent, how we're to submit to our parents, and how we're to be involved in all the aspects of life. We need to teach our children these things and teach one another these things because if we're not giving to these things, then you can rest assured that the foundation of your family can be shaken because all of the artillery at hell is aimed at every family. The gods of this world can't satisfy. Humanism will come along and say, you don't need God. You're enough on your own. Relativism will come and say, you don't need truth, you find your own truth. Secularism will come and say, you know what, you don't need the church, you just need government. And then you find materialism that comes along and says, these are the things that will make you happy. And hedonism comes along and says, these are the pleasures that you need to pursue. And every single day, listen, church, Every single day, we are bombarded by the gods of the world. What is your foundation? One Lord. I have only one king. One love. I have only one affection. One word, law, that guides me is God's word. How do we do that in our families? Let me give you a couple of clues. In your home, read scriptures together. Or read a book together. Pray together. Fill your home with Christian music. Watch faith-based films. Memorize verses together. If you want to look at how do we do it in a church, here's what we do. Worship together together. Make sure you're actively involved in a faith community. Discuss sermons. Let me tell you, every single Sunday, (laughs) people talk about me. (laughs) They do. Whether it's good or bad, I'm evaluated every week. Stay connected in a small group. Get your kids in VBS. Get them involved in student and children's ministry. I'm going to tell you what, the foundation is the most important part. And when the foundation is destroyed, where can the righteous go? You want to reconnect as a family? You go back to the foundation. Here's the second thing he tells us. Not only are we to remember the foundation, but we're to reestablish godly communication. Now now this is connected to the first obviously and so as you establish a firm foundation in God the second thing that happens is you have godly communication we're to be involved in talking to one another constantly about these things. Here's how Moses puts it. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. He says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. He's saying that there are four times he mentions them He says, teach them, speak about them, write them, then bind them. What does that mean? What's them? Them are all the statutes and the principles and the truth of God's word. So what do we do with these things? He gives three clear areas that we're we're to be engaged in that builds this godly communication. Number one, he says, teach them. You're to take the word of God, and we are to regularly be teaching the word of God. Now, this is sort of a formal setting. It's kind of like sitting down and formally teaching your children about the things of God. And you teach them about Christ. You teach them about his work on the cross. You teach them about his resurrection. You teach them these biblical principles, but it goes much broader than just to children and teenagers. It's the whole family. We teach each other. And when we go into the family of God, regardless of your age, regardless of where you find yourself as a family, we're constantly speaking the truth of God's word to one another. I want to tell you something. My wife is an incredible disciplined person in reading. She reads more theological works than I do. And she is constantly reading them. And she reads and she comes to me and she says, here's what I read today. What do you think of this? What do you think of this? And we just, she just pours into me. I don't even have to read the books. I tell her to read them. You've heard of Cliff's notes? These are Chris notes. And, um, and she reads them and she says, you need to read this book. And I get a lot of my books based upon my wife. She teaches me all the time. And I want to tell you, we teach each other as we speak the word of God to each other Constantly. Listen, children, you can teach your parents. If you don't believe that's true, who is it that sets up all the electronic devices in your home? (laughs) They teach you all the time. My little daughter taught me some valuable lessons. Leslie, I remember when she was a little girl, she came to me one time and she said, Daddy, what does the word hypocrisy mean? I said, well, honey, that is a big word, but it means this. You tell somebody not to do something, but you do it. That's hypocrisy. Okay, so one night I was getting ready for bed, and we always had a rule in our house. You don't drink out of the milk jug. Nobody drinks out of the milk jug. So I walk into the kitchen over and grab the milk jug, and I start guggling it, and all of a sudden I hear Leslie behind me, and she's looking at me, and she's going, hypocrisy! <laughs> I said, honey, we, all, we just don't do it when we have company. Wouldn't you like to come to my house and drink milk? (laughs) We teach each other, and we teach each other all the time. And here's the thing we're to constantly be teaching the Word of God consistently and convincingly. We convince each other of the truth. And that's what it just simply means. These are these settings where we're constantly talking about the truth of God's word and exhorting and encouraging one another in that. So we teach them. Here's the second thing. We talk of them. We're teaching maybe a little bit formal. Talking is informal. Talking is just conversation. And I love this. It is conversation. It's when you sit. It's when you rise. It's when you walk. It's when you lie down. So when do you talk about the things of God? All day, all day long. When you have little children, parents, you can talk about Jesus all day. See that flower? Jesus made that. See that son? Jesus is in charge of that. You see all these people? He made all of us. Every single situation is an opportunity to teach and to model truth. And it's to be conversationally. It is just simply to have conversations. My wife and I went to lunch on Friday. And as we were sitting and having lunch together, I just asked her the question. I said, honey, we're celebrated 28 years here at Scotts Hill on Thursday. I said, here's what I want to know from you. I want to know what would you consider some of the joys of the ministry? What have been some of your challenges? How has God used this to form and to fashion us? What are we maybe disappointed in? And we sat down there and just talked about that. My wife and I used to try to go out and say, we're not going to talk about church. We're not going to talk about the kids. We were quiet. (laughs) Because that's our life. Why? Jesus is our life. I want to tell you this. What you talk most about is most important to you. What you talk about the most in your family is what's most important to you. And everybody knows it. And so what do we do? We just talk about these things. We drive down the road, and if there's an accident, we just teach our kids, oh, somebody's hurt. Let's just pray right now. You watch a movie, and there are questions. What do you think about that? Sit around the dinner table and just have a conversation where you just do life together. So you teach, you talk. Thirdly, testify, testify. He says this crazy thing that you and I can't even imagine. He says, bind them on the frontlets of your forehead and on the forearms. Now, what the Jews did in these days, they had these little boxes made of leather called phylacteries. And they would take scripture and put them in them. And they would literally just put it on their turbans on the top part. And they would be bound right there, which would be kind of odd. And then or they put them on their forms. Why did they do that? They let everybody know that they are in a covenant relationship with God. And when they bound these things, everybody knew that they belonged to God. Or they would write them on the gates or put them on the doorpost of their heart. The whole point is this. We're to carry the truth of God so conspicuously that everybody knows who we belong to. That means we're to model it. Grandparents, model the character of Jesus in front of each other. Parents, model the character of Jesus with one another and with your kids. Teenagers, model the character of Jesus to your parents who may not be believers. Children model the character of Jesus. In other words, everywhere we go, I went to the grocery store one day and and every time I go to the grocery store, I run into people from the church that I I don't know a lot of times. People say, hey, pastor, how you doing? And if I say, hey, buddy, how are you? I don't know you, okay? (laughs) So help me out. Say, hey, pastor Phil, I'm so-and-so I go to. Name the service time." And I'll say, hey, great to meet you. But I'm walking down the aisle, and I'm looking for something. And this little kid is down the other end. And a lot of times when kids see me, they'll say, Pastor Phil. How did somebody in the neighborhood do that this week? Pastor Phil. This little kid just looked up and said, Mommy, it's Jesus. I looked. I didn't see him. I thought I missed the second coming. So... But isn't that? Isn't that the model that we should have? That our kids see Jesus in us? That our spouse sees Jesus in us? That we are built that firm foundation and now what are we doing is the communication is about him. So what does it look like in our homes? For small children... Read Bible stories and talk about Jesus. This Wednesday, I'm going to be with my grandkids. And I'm going to read Bible stories to Hudson and Hadley. And you know what? With FaceTime, it's so good, they FaceTime me back all the time. And then Hudson is telling me about Jonah. He's telling me about the whale. He's telling me about David and Goliath. He's three years old. And I'm thinking, wow, they're doing such a good job just doing that. Small kids, just read to them. For older children and teens, implement Bible reading plans or memory verses. We used to do daily devotions in our house, and I realized I was the only one awake during them. <laughs> so I said, you know what? We're, we're, no, we're not doing that anymore. Everybody does their own quiet time. And then when we eat at night, we're going to talk about God's word. It bless my heart. Ryan, for his birthday, said, I want a new alarm clock. I said, why? He said, so I can get up and have my quiet time. Even to this day, that boy is so disciplined with his journal, and every morning he writes. There's the foundation. There's a communication that's poured through it. Here's a, establish a mealtime. If you don't do this, eat together. It's the greatest time to be able to talk about the things of God in your life or how about this, teach them to see God's presence and power all around them. When you go on a hike, when you go on vacation, when you're going to some place and you see it, just constantly talk about, wow, look what, I remember telling Leslie, I said, look at the sky that God has created. And every time there'd be a beautiful thing in the sky, she would just say, God's painting a picture. God's painting a picture. Everything was saturated from that foundation. Adults, encourage one another daily in biblical truths and spiritual experiences. Encourage one another. Speak to one another. Say, let me tell you what God's challenged me with today. Let me tell you what God told me you need to do today. No, don't do that. Okay. (laughs) So what we do is we've got the foundation. Secondly, we've got the godly communication. Here's the third one. We rekindle a healthy appreciation. We rekindle a healthy appreciation for one another. Now, we don't find that necessarily in this passage, so we're going to jump to the New Testament. And the Lord Jesus teaches us about this. A rich young ruler comes to Jesus one day, and he says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus reads some of the commandments to him. And the last piece of advice Jesus gives him and says this, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbors yourself. Now, here's what's interesting. Honor your father and mother. That's the fourth commandment. That is a commandment. Loving your neighbor as yourself is not one of the original ten commandments. But he puts honor and love together. The Apostle Paul does the same thing. He writes, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in honor. There it is again. Love and honor. And then the writer of Hebrews says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love And good works. So this thing of appreciating one another flows from a solid foundation. It comes to a place of communication where you're constantly talking about Jesus. And then it develops an appreciation for one another. What does it look like? Let me give you five things. Number one, loving one another. Loving one another just as God created you. I love Gary Chapman's book, Five Languages of Love. It's been a great, simple little book, how God has wired us to feel loved. There's words of affirmation, time, touch, gifts, and service. And what we did in our family is we all learned our love languages. For me, it is words of affirmation. Um, One of the greatest things that can ever happen is when my wife, at the end of a day, says, that was a great message. I look forward to her affirming me. My daughter Leslie, words of affirmation. Daddy, am I pretty? Daddy, do you like my dress? All of these things. My son Ryan, touch. He loved to wrestle and quality time. My wife's service is service. She loves service. Listen, I wish I'd learned these things when I first got married because. I'd try to do all kinds of gifts for her. I'd bring her roses. I'd do all these special romantic things. I would buy her these things. Nothing stirred her. But when I dust and I vacuum (laughs) and I put away the dishes, I discovered that she's more affectionate with those things. I have the cleanest house in Wilmington. (laughs) To so love your, l- each other, learn your languages. Wow, to love one another. How about this lifting one another, lifting one another, encouraging one another, praying for one another. We live in families today that is constantly hearing about putting down one another, tearing one another apart. But what happens with a home when, when you lift each other? I, I, I'm an encourager by nature, so I'm always encouraging. And so one time Ron and I went to a driving range together and he was about five years old and I I was a terrible golfer Everything I I play a little bit better now after many lessons, but he I was horrible And and he had a little set of golf clubs and he gave out uh, within about five minutes, you know squirrel And so he's gone. He's sitting over there drinking his coke He's watching me all these golfers are lined up and I'm hitting and man I'm just doing the worm burners they're going about fifty yards in worm burners. And Ryan says, "Dad." So what? He says, "Your balls don't go as far." <laughs> and all the men were laughing. So thank you, Ryan. I continue to hit. Dad, everybody stops. <laughs> I bet you're better at bowling. <laughs> that was his way of saying, "Dad, here's it. You give up golf." <laughs> Find something else, I'm sure you'll be good at it. We encourage one another. We lift one another in our homes or listening to one another. How about this one? We so want to talk, learn to listen to one another. Men, your wives want meaningful conversation, they don't want you to fix the problem. I'm glad I can fix that for you. (laughs) They want you to hear the problem. Men are fixers. Women are feelers. Listen. I learned this from my little girl, Leslie. She was probably in about fifth grade. And as a sermon illustration, I was talking about her, and it embarrassed her. And when she was sitting right in the second row, right where you are. And I can look at her and she started crying and Chris looked at me and I knew I am in trouble. (laughs) When I got home, I sat her down. I said, honey, I'm so sorry. What did I do? She told that story about me. I said, how did you feel? She said, I felt really embarrassed. I said, honey, I'm so sorry. I will never tell a story about you again. No, no, no. I like it when you tell stories, but please let me know. I said, okay. Leslie, if you're listening, I hope this is okay. (laughs) 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 Laughing with one another. Oh, my goodness. Don't our homes need to be filled with laughter? You know what I loved when we had kids growing up was the the family game nights. Every Thursday, family game night. We laughed together. We made up songs together. To this day, my wife and I still have family game nights. We play cards. We play games. She beats me every time because she cheats. But I... And that makes me laugh. But learn to laugh together as a family. Joy should be the overflowing atmosphere of our homes. Here's the last one. Lamenting with one another. Crying together. Crying together. It's okay to do that. When Chris and I hit the empty nest, our kids moved out. We were sitting on a couch one night. We were living in Castle Bay. And we started playing the sleepy tape is what we called it. Our kids grew up with Michael Card's Sleep Sound in Jesus. Parents, if you want a good CD or or music for your kids, Michael Card's Sleep Sound in Jesus. They grew up with that. We put it in the hallway between both of their rooms. And every night, the sleepy tape, the sleepy tape. And we'd play it and we'd have to flip it over because it was a cassette and then we got the CD. So we're sitting in there and we're listening to it on Spotify and we're just boo-hooing, just crying. Oh, I can't believe they're gone. And we're just like, we don't like this. It's too quiet. Well, we adjusted. Went about three, six months. And then Ryan calls us, our older son, and he says... Dad, Joe Andish is getting married and I need a place to live. Can I move back home? We said, sure, come back. He came back. One night, Chris and I were sitting on the couch crying. We don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> but learn, learn to cry together. Now, here's what we need to see the foundation is pivotal. Go back to the foundation. Some of you have left that. And you're wondering why your families are in the state that they're in. Because you've stepped off the foundation and God is calling your home, your family back to the foundation. And then he's saying, take the next step. What is the centerpiece of your conversation? Is your life around Jesus? And thirdly, is there appreciation? You want to know why there's no appreciation? In so many families, it's because we don't have the foundation. And if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Jesus talks about a wise builder, and here's how he describes him. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock, and when a flood arose, The stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. I had Kelly Baker draw me this diagram this week. Here's where we want all our families to be. We want to be happy. We want to be joyful. But it cannot happen without this. How's your foundation? Is there one Lord, one love, and one law? How's your communication? Are you teaching? Are you speaking? Are you testifying? The Lord Jesus. How's your appreciation? Is it a place where you love to be with your family? That's it's not going to be void of conflicts. But whatever conflict you have, you got a foundation to be able to deal with it. And you know where to go. And I'm going to guarantee you, if we can go back to the foundation and work through these things, the celebration is just what's going to flow. And today, I'm a man that celebrates. Because the life verse for Chris and me, for our kids, is that our children would walk in the truth. Third John. and our kids are walking in the truth and my grandkids understand the foundation. It's not too late wherever you are. In your marriages, go back to the foundation. In your parenting, go back to the foundation. College students, before you are enticed by all the things of the world, go back to the foundation because this is what we must remember. I want to challenge you this week, every home, that you take whatever the Holy Spirit is laying on your heart about this message. Because there's a lot. But whatever he's laying on your heart about this message, that you would make a commitment to say, I want to apply that. And I'm speaking to Christian families. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian family, can some of these things benefit you? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it all begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ, the most important part. And I want to implore you to consider Jesus. I want to pray for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, our family as we're here today, for those who are watching online. I pray, Father, that you would encourage our hearts today as as we listen to your word and the simplicity of it. But, Father, the complicating things of our culture pulls us away constantly, and you're calling us back. Father, today, as we honor our moms, some of us are here today because our moms ask us to be so. But you are not here. They are not here today just by that, but it's been by your divine choice. Speak to our hearts. Challenge us. May we be the kinds of families that you want us to be. And we pray in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottshill.org slash next steps. Till next time.